0: Chapter Ten of Marriage, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One, by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Ten Nature here wantoned as in her prime, and played at will her virgin fancies. Milton. The gentlemen were already assembled round the drawing-room fire, impatiently waiting the hour of dinner, when Lady MacLaughlan and her three friends entered. The masculine habiliments of the morning had been exchanged for a more feminine costume. She was now arrayed in a pompadour satin negligee and petticoat trimmed with Brussels lace. A high-starched handkerchief formed a complete breastwork, on which amid a large bouquet of truly artificial roses reposed a miniature of sir sampson a la militaire a small fly-cap of antique lace was scarcely perceptible on the summit of a stupendous frizzled toupee hemmed in on each side by large curls the muffin-stick had been relinquished for a large fan something resembling an indian screen which she waved to and fro in one hand while a vast brocaded work-bag was suspended from the other. "'So, Major Douglas, your servant,' said she, in answer to the constrained formal bow with which he saluted her on her entrance, "'Why, it's so long since I've seen you that you may be a grandfather for aught I know.' The poor awkward missus at that moment came sneaking into the room. "'As for you girls, you'll never be grandmothers.' "'You'll never be married unless to wild men of the woods. "'I suppose you'd like that. "'It would save you the trouble of combing your hair and tying your shoes, "'for then you could go without clothes altogether. Humph! "'You'd be much better without clothes than to put them on as you do,' "'seizing upon the luckless Miss Baby, "'as she endeavoured to steal behind backs. "'And here, in justice to the lady, "'it must be owned that for once,' She had some grounds for anima adversion in the dress and appearance of the Mrs. Douglas. They had stayed out running races and riding on a pony until near the dinner hour, and dreading their father's displeasure, should they be too late, they had, with the utmost haste, exchanged their thick morning dresses for thin muslin gowns made by a mantua-maker of the neighborhood, in the extreme of a two-year-old fashion, when waists were not. But as dame nature had been particularly lavish in the length of theirs, and the stay-maker had, according to their aunt's direction, given them full measure of their new dark stays, there existed a visible breach between the waists of their gowns and the bands of their petticoats, which they had vainly sought to adjust by a meeting. Their hair had been curled but not combed, and dark gloves had been hastily drawn on to hide red arms. "'I suppose,' continued the stern Lady MacLaughlan as she twirled her victim round and round, "'I suppose you think yourself vastly smart and well-dressed. "'Yes, you are very neat, very neat indeed. "'One would suppose Ben Johnson had you in his eye when he composed that song.' "'Then in a voice like thunder she chanted forth, "'Give me a look, give me a face, that makes simplicity a grace.' "'Robes loosely flowing, hair is free. "'Such sweet neglect, more taketh me.' "'Miss Grizzy was in the utmost perplexity "'between her inclination to urge something "'in extenuation for the poor girls, "'and her fear of dissenting from Lady MacLaughlan, "'or rather of not immediately agreeing with her. "'She therefore steered, as usual, the middle course, "'and kept saying, "'Well, children, really what Lady MacLaughlan says "'is all very true.' at the same time turning to her friend i declare it's not much to be wondered at young people are so thoughtless poor lambs what's all this war, said the old gentleman angrily the girlies are well enough i see nothing the matter wi em they're no dressed like old queens or stage actresses and he glanced his eye from lady maclaughlan to his elegant daughter-in-law who just then entered hanging according to custom on her husband and preceded by Cupid. Mrs. Douglas followed, and the sound of the dinner-bell put a stop to the dispute. "'Come, my lady, we'll see how the dinner's dressed,' said the laird, as he seized Lady MacLachlan by the tip of the finger, and holding it up aloft, they marched into the dining-room. "'Permit me, my lady Juliana Douglas,' said the little baronet, with much difficulty hobbling towards her, and attempting to take her hand.' come harry love here cupid cried she and without noticing the enraged sir sampson she passed on humming a tune and leaning upon her husband astonishing perfectly astonishing exclaimed the baronet how a young woman of lady juliana's rank and fashion should be guilty of such a solecism in good breeding she is very young said mrs douglas smiling as he limped along with her and you must make allowances for her but, indeed, I think her beauty must ever be a sufficient excuse for any little errors she may commit with a person of such taste and gallantry as Sir Samson MacLachlan. The little baronet smiled, pressed the hand he held, and, soothed by the well-timed compliment, he seated himself next to Lady Juliana with some complacency. As she insisted on having her husband on the other side of her, Mr. Douglas was condemned to take his station by the hated Lady MacLachlan, "'who, for the first time observing Mrs. Douglas, called to her. "'Come here, my love. I haven't seen you these hundred years.' "'Then, seizing her face between her hands, she saluted her in the usual style. "'There, at length releasing Mrs. Douglas from her grip, "'there's for you. I love you very much. "'You're neither a fool nor a hoyden. You're a fine, intelligent being.' Having carefully rolled up and deposited her gloves in her pocket, she pulled out a pincushion, and calling Miss Bella, desired her to pin her napkin over her shoulders, which done, she began to devour her soup in silence. Peace was, however, of short duration. Old Donald, in removing a dish of whipped cream, unfortunately overturned one upon Lady Maclaughlan's pompadour satin petticoat, the only part of her dress that was unprotected. "'Do you see what you have done, you old Donald, you?' cried she, seizing the culprit by the sleeve. "'Why, you've got St. Vitus's dance. A fit hand to carry whipped cream, to be sure. "'Why, I could as well carry a custard on the point of a bayonet. Humph. "'Dear me, Donald, how could you be so senseless?' cried Miss Jackie. "'Preserve me, Donald. I thought you had more sense,' squeaked Miss Nicky. "'I am sure, Donald.' "'That was not like you,' said Miss Grizzy, as the friends all flocked around the petticoat, each suggesting a different remedy. "'It's all of you girls that this has happened. Why can't you have a larger tablecloth upon your table? And that old man has the palsy. Why don't you electrify him?' In a tone admirably calculated to have that effect. "'I declare it's all very true,' observed Miss Grizzy. "'The tablecloth is very small.' and Donald certainly does shake. That cannot be denied. But, lowering her voice, he is so obstinate. We really don't know what to do with him. My sisters and I attempted to use the flesh-brush with him. Oh, and an excellent thing it is. I make Philistine rub Sir Sampson every morning and night. If it was not for that, and his cough, nobody would know whether he were dead or alive. I don't believe he would know himself. Humph! "'Sir Sampson's lemon face assumed an orange hue "'as he overheard this domestic detail. "'But not daring to contradict the facts, "'he prudently turned a deaf ear to them, "'and attempted to carry on a flirtation with Lady Juliana "'through the medium of Cupid, whom he had coaxed upon his knee. "'Dinner being at length ended, toasts succeeded, "'and each of the ladies having given her favourite laird, "'the signal of retreat was given, and a general movement took place.' Lady Juliana, throwing herself upon the sofa with her pugs, called Mrs. Douglas to her. "'Do sit down here and talk with me,' yawned she. Her sister-in-law, with great good humor, fetched her work and seated herself by the spoilt child. "'What strange thing is that you are making?' asked she, as Mrs. Douglas pulled out her knitting. "'It's a child's stocking,' replied her sister-in-law. "'A child's stocking? Oh, by the by, have you a great many children?' "'I have none,' answered Mrs. Douglas, with a half-stifled sigh. "'None at all?' repeated Lady Juliana with surprise. "'Then why do you make children's stockings?' "'I make them for those whose parents cannot afford to purchase them.' "La! what poor wretches they must be that can't afford to buy stockings!' rejoined Lady Juliana with a yawn. "'It's monstrous good of you to make them, to be sure.' but it must be a shocking bore. And such a trouble, and another long yawn, succeeded. Not half such a bore to me as to sit idle, returned Mrs. Douglas with a smile, nor near so much trouble as you undergo with your favourites. Lady Juliana made no reply, but turning from her sister-in-law, soon was, or affected to be, sound asleep, from which she was only roused by the entrance of the gentleman. "'A rubber or a reel, my lady?' asked the laird, going up to his daughter-in-law. "'Julia, love,' said her husband, "'my father asks you if you choose cards or dancing.' "'There's nobody to dance with,' said she, casting a languid glance around. "'I'll play at cards.' "'Not whist, surely,' said Henry. "'Whist? Oh, heavens, no!' "'Well, well, you youngsters will get a round game. "'Come, my lady MacLachlan,' brizzy mrs douglas hey for the odd trick and the honors what would your ladyship choose to play at asked miss jackie advancing with a pack of cards in one hand and a box of counters in the other oh anything i like 100 very well or quadrille or i really don't care what the misses who had gathered round and were standing gaping in joyful expectation of pope joan or a pool at commerce here exchanged sorrowful glances. "'I am afraid the young people don't play these games,' replied Miss Jackie. "'But we've counters enough,' shaking her little box, "'for Pope Joan, and we all know that.'" "'Pope Joan? I never heard of such a game,' replied Lady Juliana. "'Oh, we can soon learn you,' said Miss Nicky, who, having spread the green cloth on the tea-table, now advanced to join the consultation.'" i hate to be taught said lady juliana with a yawn besides i am sure it must be something very stupid ask if she plays commerce whispered miss bella to miss baby the question was put but with no better success and the young ladies faces again bespoke their disappointment which their brother observing he good-naturedly declared his perfect knowledge of commerce and i must insist upon teaching you juliana gently dragging her to the table "'What's the pool to be?' asked one of the young ladies. "'I'm sure I don't know,' said the aunts, looking to each other. "'I suppose we must make it sixpence,' said Miss Jackie, "'after a whispering consultation with her sisters. "'In that case we can afford nothing to the best hand,' observed Miss Nicky. "'And we ought to have five lives and grace,' added one of the nieces. "'These points having been conceded, the preliminaries were at length settled. "'The cards were slowly doled out by Miss Jackie.' and Lady Juliana was carefully instructed in the rules of the game, and strongly recommended always to try for a sequence, or pairs, etc. "'And if you win,' rejoined Miss Nicky, shaking the snuffer-stand in which were deposited the sixpences, "'you get all this.' As it may be conjectured, Lady Juliana's patience could not survive more than one life. She had no notion of playing for sixpences, and could not be at the trouble to attend to any instructions." She therefore quickly retired in disgust, leaving the aunts and nieces to struggle for the glorious prize. "'My dear child, you played that last stroke like a perfect natural,' cried Lady MacLaughlan to Miss Grizzy As the rubber ended, they arose from the table. "'Indeed, I declare I dare say I did,' replied her friend in a deprecating tone. "'Dare say you did? I know you did. Humph! I knew the ace lay with you. I knew that as well as if I had seen it.' I suppose you have eyes, but I don't know. If you have, didn't you see Glenfern turn up the king? And yet you returned his lead, returned our adversary's lead in the face of his king. I've been telling you these twenty years not to return your adversary's lead. Nothing can be more despicable. Nothing can be greater proof of imbecility of mind. (sighs) Then seating herself, she began to exercise her fan with considerable activity. "'This has been the most disagreeable day I ever spent in this house, girls. "'I don't know what's come over you, but you are all wrong. "'My petticoat's ruined. "'My pocket's picked at cards. "'It won't do, girls. "'It won't do. "'Humph!' "'I am sure I can't understand it,' said Miss Grizzy in a rueful accent. "'There really appears to have been some fatality.' "'Fatality? "'Humph! "'I wish you would give everything its right name. "'What do you mean by fatality?' "'I declare, I am sure I I really don't know,' stammered the unfortunate grizzy. "'Do you mean that the spilling of the custard was the work of an angel?' demanded her unrelenting friend. "'Oh, certainly not.' "'Or that it was the devil tempted you to throw away your ace there?' "'I suppose there's a fatality in our going to supper just now,' continued she, as her deep-toned voice resounded through the passage that conducted to the dining-room and i suppose it will be called a fatality if that old fate pointing to donald scalds me to death with that mess of porridge he's going to put on the table (laughs) humph no such fatality however occurred and the rest of the evening passed off in as much harmony as could be expected from the very heterogeneous parts of which the society was formed the family group had already assembled round the breakfast table with the exception of lady juliana who chose to take that meal in bed but contrary to her usual custom, no Lady MacLaughlan had yet made her appearance. The scones will be like leather," said Miss Grizzy as she wrapped another napkin round them. "The eggs will be like snowballs," cried Miss Jackie, popping them into the slop basin. "The tea will be like brandy," observed Miss Nicky as she poured more water to the three teaspoonsful she had infused. "'I wish we saw our breakfast,' said the laird, as he finished the newspapers and deposited his spectacles in his pocket. At that moment the door opened, and the person in question entered in her travelling dress, followed by Sir Sampson, Philistine bringing up the rear with a large green bag and a little bandbox. "'I hope your bed was warm and comfortable. I hope you rested well. I hope Sir Sampson's quite well.' immediately burst as if from a thousand voices, while the sisters officiously fluttered round their friend. "'I rested very ill. My bed was very uncomfortable, and Sir Sampson's as sick as a cat.' <clears> hm <throat> Three disconsolate blasphemies here burst forth. "'Perhaps your bed was too hard,' said Miss Grizzy, "'Or too soft,' suggested Miss Jackie. "'Or too hot,' added Miss Nicky. It was neither too hard, nor too soft, nor too hot, nor too cold, thundered the lady as she seated herself at the table, but it was all of them. I declare that's most distressing, said Miss Grizzy in a tone of sorrowful amazement. Was your head high enough, dear Lady MacLachlan? Perhaps it was too high, said Miss Jackie. I know nothing more disagreeable than a high head, remarked Miss Nicky. Except a fool's head. (laughs) The sound of a carriage here set all ears on full stretch, and presently the well-known pea-green drew up. "'Dear me! Bless me! Goodness me!' shrieked the three ladies at once. "'Surely, Lady MacLachlan, you you can't—you don't—you won't! "'This must be a mistake!' "'There's no mistake in the matter, girls,' replied their friend, with her accustomed sang "'I'm going home. So I ordered the carriage, that's all.' going home faintly murmured all the disconsolate spinsters what i suppose you think i ought to stay here and have another petticoat spoiled or lose another half-crown at cards or have the finishing stroke put on sir sampson oh lady MacLaughlan was three times uttered in reproachful accents i don't know what else i should stay for you are not yourselves girls you've all turned topsy-turvy I've visited here these twenty years, and I never saw things in the state they are now. Hum! I declare it's very true, sighed Miss Grizzy. We certainly are a little in confusion. That can't be denied. Denied? Why, can you deny that my petticoat's ruined? Can you deny that my pocket was picked of half a crown for nothing? Can you deny that Sir Sampson has been half poisoned, and— my lady MacLachlan interrupted the enraged husband. I, I, I am surprised. I am shocked. Zounds, my lady! I won't suffer this. I cannot stand it. And pushing his teacup away, he arose and limped to the window. Philistine here entered to inform his mistress that athing was ready. Steady, boys, steady i always am ready responded the lady in a tone adapted to the song now i am ready say nothing girls you know my rules here philistine wrap up sir samson and put him in get along my love good-bye girls and i hope you will all be restored to your right senses soon oh lady MacLaughlan, whined the weeping grizzy as she embraced her friend who somewhat melted at the signs of her distress bawled out from the carriage as the door was shut, "'Well, God bless you girls, and make you what you have been, and come to Lockmarley Castle soon, and bring your wits along with you.' The carriage then drove off, and the three disconsolate sisters returned to the parlour to hold a cabinet council as to the causes of the late disasters. End of chapter 10 Recording by Patty Cunningham